start in English. Today we are going to talk about the cone gatherers again. Uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at all the past paper 10 markers and we're going to look at some of the practice ones as well and I'm just going to talk you through some of the things you can look at when you're doing the 10 markers. Now the 10 marker obviously there are three things you have to do in the 10 marker. You have to identify the areas of commonality, you have to comment on the extract that you're given and you have to comment on elsewhere in the book. Now, the elsewhere and the extract bit are pretty, straight, pretty straightforward. They're just like paragraphs out of a critical essay. The problem some of you are finding is how to do the commonality bit. The commonality is basically, it's like an introduction to an essay where you say the kind of main points you're gonna talk about, but you don't go into too much detail because if you go into too much detail in the commonality bit, you'll have nothing left uh, when you write the other two sections. So if you look at my Facebook page, you'll know that I've done a sample 10 marker about class difference, because I think that might be what's in the exam this year. It might not be, but that's what I think it could be. Um, and you can see a sample of how I would write a commonality paragraph. Um, anyway, so we're going to look at the papers now. So first of all, we have the 2015 paper. Uh, the 10 mark question that year was about Durer and it asked um, basically how Durer could be considered an evil character but one who is worthy of sympathy. So to answer that question you have to think about two things. How is Durer evil and how is he portrayed as being a sympathetic character? Now evil, that's pretty straightforward isn't it? Because he's basically an evil character. Um, first of all you could talk about the way he brutally kills animals especially when he savagely stabs the deer's throat at the end of the deer drive. The fact that he kills Callum after a great deal of persecution, that would certainly be something I would consider quite evil as well. Um, the fact that he hates imperfection and talks about how he thinks the Nazis were actually quite right to exterminate people who are weak, that's quite evil as well, isn't it? Um, also the fact that he makes up lies to discredit Callum, uh, that's also something that's quite evil. So there's four things you could talk about in terms of him being evil. In terms of being a sympathetic character, well, the fact that he has a terrible domestic life. You know, he's stuck in a loveless marriage and his mother-in-law is not very nice. That is something that you might feel sorry for him about. Uh, the fact that he's mentally ill, uh, when he visits the doctor, the doctor tells him there's physically nothing wrong with him, but clearly there's something wrong with his mind. So that's something you might feel sorry for him about as well. The, the fact that the forest was once considered his stronghold and sanctuary has now been defiled by the cone gatherers in his eyes anyway. That might make you feel a bit sorry for him too. And there's also the fact that he could never fulfill his dreams of going to war because he's got a clubbed foot and he's unable to represent his country the way he does. So there are quite a few things that make him seem like a sympathetic character. So that was 2015. 2016, the question was about uh, the theme of the conflict between good and evil. That's quite a basic one. So you just have to think about where good and evil are represented in the book. Obviously, the main one is Callum and Durer. Callum versus Durer, if you want to call it that. But the conflict between the two of them, Callum is a symbol of good and innocence and purity. Durer is a symbol of evil, corruption, um, all those kind of bad things. Uh, the war is a symbol of good and evil because we learn about innocent people being sacrificed. We learn about babies being burnt to death in their cradles. 
Uh, we learn about the senselessness of war and about the fact that it kills people and what good is a dead man. I think uh, Neil tells that to, to Callum at one point. Uh, you've also, in the world of nature, we see good and evil. We see the fact that mankind is quite evil in the way that it sacrifices the trees to um, make bullet boxes for the war. The fact that they kill animals for sport, the fact that they hunt animals for food, they trap animals for food. You could argue that that's good and evil. Um, there's other things as well, other characters. You could talk about Roderick and Lady Runty Campbell being a good and evil thing because Roderick represents the good side of the upper class and Lady Runty Campbell, she represents a more unpleasant side with her kind of snobby attitudes towards the poor. Um, so that's 2016. 2017 was a question that a lot of people at the time really hated. It was about symbolism. It asked how Robin Jenkins used symbolism to convey theme. Now, it sounds horrible, but symbolism just means how you use uh, things within the book to represent a theme. Now, you think about it, the 2016 question we just listened to, that was about the theme of good versus evil. So you could talk about the things that symbolise good and evil. The fact that Callum symbolises good, Dürer symbolises evil. The world of nature symbolises good and evil. The, the war symbolises good and evil. You've also got a lot of religious imagery in the book that you've probably been told about at school. Um, the idea that Callum represents Jesus because he's innocent and because he ultimately has to be sacrificed so that the corruption of Dürer um, can be laid to rest in the same way that Jesus sacrificed himself so that mankind could continue. Um, and Dürer uh, represents the devil, um, this kind of corrupting influence. You've also got the image that you could talk about the some of the characters that symbolise social class. The fact that Lady Runty Campbell symbolises everything that's wrong with the upper class, that kind of snobby, uh, patronising attitude that she has. And then you've got Roderick symbolising the good side of um, the upper class, the understanding, modern, progressive, groovy side of the upper class. And then you've got the cone gatherers who represent the lower class, the working class. Uh, so there, there are quite a lot of things you could talk about if you were asked about symbolism. 2018, this is last year's question, it was about the theme of power. How does Robin Jenkins explore the theme of power? Well, you could talk about the fact that Lady Runty Campbell has power, and yet Durer somehow seems to have more power over her. Um, the fact that power is kind of like, it's, it's not necessarily a fixed thing. You know, Lady Runty Campbell is, she's the highest class person in the book, and yet for some reason Durer seems to have power over her, which is a kind of interesting thing to observe. Uh, I think probably the most important thing if you're talking about tower, uh, tower, power is the fact that power can be abused. Think about how Lady Runcy Campbell treats the cone gatherers, the fact that she kicks them out of the beach hut, treats them like she treats them like slaves. Uh, the fact that Durer abuses his position of power by influencing Lady Runcy Campbell's opinions of the cone gatherers, by insisting that they go on the deer drive. So that's an abuse of power. Um, you could talk about social class in general and how there's a power system there, you know, the upper classes and the working class. Um, you could talk about the fact that the having a lack of power can be deeply frustrating. Neil spends a lot of the book bemoaning the fact that they are lower class and that they're not allowed to go to certain parts of the woods and they have to live in this trampy little hut. So yeah, also the fact that physical power, you could talk about physical power, uh, how that can be intimidating, how Dürer uses his physical power to intimidate the cone gatherers and his physical presence is a kind of constant intimidation to the cone gatherers. So that's the four years of exam questions that we've had so far in the new hire. What we're going to do next is we're going to look at some of the practice questions. Now these ones are, they are really worth listening to because there's a very good chance that one of these practice questions is going to be your exam question this year. 
because it's unlikely they're going to use one of the four that they've already used. It's more likely to be one of these. So these next few questions are definitely um, worth your time listening to again and again. Okay, so this is the first one. The first one would be something to do with class difference. How does Robin Jenkins convey the theme of class difference? Now, I've said this to many of you in the past few weeks. I think this might be the question this year. I think it's either going to be about Neil or about class difference. I've no idea. It could be about anything. But I just have a weird feeling it's going to be one of those two because class difference especially is one that teachers talk about a lot. A lot of textbooks mention class difference, but there hasn't been a class difference question um, in the exam so far. As I said at the start, I've written out a 10 marker on my Facebook page that um, is about class difference. So if you want to have a look at that, that might help you. But the things you could talk about in class difference are the fact that there are subtle subsections of class divide within the book. The fact that, you know, Callum and Neil are working class. So is Jura and so is Mr. Tulloch. And yet there's clearly um, a hierarchy there. You know, Jura is above Callum and Neil, even though he's still working class. Lady Runcy Campbell respects Jura. She listens to what he says. She doesn't do that with the Cone Girls. She treats them like dirt. Also, the fact that you could talk about in class difference, you could talk about Lady Runcy Campbell's um, family views. The fact that there are different views within her family um, about working class people. Uh, you look at her dad. Her dad is an egalitarian. He believes that all people should be treated equally. Whereas her husband believes that poor people are scum and should be treated like dirt. Um, so it's quite interesting how there are different views and you can also talk about the fact that these views are reflected in her children that Roderick takes on her father's view which is that poor people should be treated nicely that's why he likes and respects the cone gatherers whereas Sheila or Tiffany as somebody said the other day they thought her name was uh, Sheila she's more like Lady Ronsie Campbell's husband because she laughs at Callum and his, the jumper you know the fact that he's got a hole in his jumper the fact that you know they, they are poor so uh, that's quite an interesting thing to talk about. There's also the fact that, you know, there are actual physical barriers that separate class in the book. There's the silver fir trees that surround the house, uh, demonstrating that there are, actual, there are actual material physical barriers that you can see that separate the rich from the poor. And the other question I said I, that might come up, that I have a feeling might come up anyway, is about Neil, just the character of Neil. Uh, and it's weird because Neil is a main character in the book, but if you think about it, he kind of doesn't really do that much. Callum and Jura are the two main players in the book, and Neil, he just kind of complains for a lot of the book. He doesn't really do much. So if you get asked about Neil, first of all, you could say that Neil is a selfless father figure. You know, he gave up everything in his life to look after Callum. He gave up on romance. He gave up on the chance of having a normal life just to look after his brother. There's a bit when Mr. Tullock says that no man on earth has ever looked after his brother as much as you have. Um, so that's something to talk about with Neil. There's the fact that he's very strong-minded. I mean, he's the only character who properly stands up to Lady Nancy Campbell. At the end of the book, when he refuses to help Roderick, he stands up for himself and Callum and stands up to Lady Nancy Campbell, which no one else in the book does. Everyone else kind of bows down to Lady Nancy Campbell. He's the only one that stands up to her. Um, he's quite, you could say he's quite socially switched on. He talks about uh, the war. He talks about social class. He does, we get a lot of social commentary through Neil. Um, so you could talk about that as well. Another thing that's kind of annoying about him is the fact that he's very moany. You know, he likes to complain, despite the fact that he has quite little to complain about when you compare him to his brother. 
mean, Callum spends the whole book being dead cheery and happy and optimistic, and he's like this little deformed simpleton, and yet Neil spends most of the book complaining. Um, he's also quite stubborn, which you could argue is the cause of Callum's death, indirectly. The fact that he stubbornly refuses to go and help Roderick out of the tree gives Dura the excuse to murder Callum at the end. So he's a stubborn character, but that's a major flaw because it uh, leads to Callum's death. Okay, now there are quite a few more we could talk about as well. Um, there's a question in one of the practice books about Callum, uh, and there's another one about Callum's innocence. They're both quite similar, so you're talking about the character of Callum. So you could talk about Callum and the fact that he has an affinity with nature. You know, he loves the trees, he feels empathy for the suffering animals, and he just generally loves the world of nature. There's the fact that he ha he's quite naive, he sees the best in people which is perhaps detrimental because he doesn't really fully grasp the threat that Dürer presents to him and Neil. Uh, he's persecuted through no fault of his own. So, I mean, he is literally innocent in that he's done nothing wrong. Dürer hates him because he's disabled. Uh, there's also the, the fact that he's constantly contrasted with Dürer and the evil of Dürer, so that helps you understand why he's such a good and innocent character. Uh, he never complains or has a bad word to say about anyone, so that's obviously quite a nice, innocent thing. And he's a very kind of thankful and caring person. You know, when he takes the doll to repair it, he's doing that because he wants to help. Uh, another question that has come up in practice papers is the something about the conflict between Dura and the brothers, like why that's important. Now, the first thing I would say about that is it's very important because if you think about it, it's central to the plot. If you take the conflict between Dura and the cone gatherers out of the book, there is no, I mean, basically you've got 200 pages of some men picking up cones and I know that's what it feels like the book's about anyway, because it is a bit boring. But if you take Dürer and his conflict with the brothers out of the book, there's nothing. It's a description of some trees and then these two guys picking up cones. That would be pretty boring. Um, the other thing you can say about the conflict is it's, it's quite one-sided. I mean, when you say there's a conflict, it's not really a conflict. It's more like persecution. Conflict suggests that there are two sides at war. It's all Dürer. Callum and Neil don't want to pick a fight with Dürer. They're just going about their lives. They're just picking up cones, just trying to survive. Dürer's the one that has a problem with them. is the one that kind of makes up stories about them. is the one that goes to their hut and spies on them and just treats them really horribly. So it's a kind of one-sided conflict. You could talk in there as well about the good versus evil theme, about how the conflict shows us the symbolism of good versus evil, which we've talked about before already. Um, we also learn from this conflict about the, the destructive power of obsession about how a person who's obsessed can um, end up having, you know, wreaking huge damage on other people and themselves. Um, other thing about the conflict, the fact that this particular conflict is caused by hatred, um, and he, more specifically hatred of imperfection and disability. Okay? Uh, you might get a question about war, about the impact of war um, on, in the novel. So you could talk there about the fact, I mean, very importantly, people forget this is this book is set during the Second World War. And if you think about it, all the characters in the book are where they are because of the war. The cone gatherers are there because they've been evacuated out into the countryside to work in this estate. Uh, Dura's there because he's not allowed to fight because of his club foot. Lady Runcy Campbell's in charge because her husband's away at the war. So all the characters, all their stories are shaped by the war, even if we don't really hear about the war all that much through the book. 
Um, another thing about war, we learn about innocent people being sacrificed. I keep talking about this, but the baby's been burnt to death in their cradles. Neil actually says to Mr. Tulloch, why is it that innocents have to be sacrificed, Mr. Tulloch? So we learn that war is a time when innocent people are very often sacrificed. Uh, we also learn that nature is heavily impacted upon by war. The fact that the trees have all been cut down so that they can make ammunition boxes. So we learn that the, the, you know, the, the effects of war are quite far-reaching. Uh, we also see that um, war can force people into unlikely situations, uh, like Lady Auntie Campbell being in charge of the estate. Uh, you know, in the 1940s, it would have been unusual to have a woman in charge of an estate like that. So war uh, can lead to unusual and unforeseen circumstances happening, which obviously brings to light all the things that happen in the book. <laughs> Okay, we're nearly there, right? Just a couple more to go. Um, there was a question in one of the books about females. A lot of people struggled with that. It was um, it was in the prelim a couple of years ago as well. It was about how female characters impact on jurors' downfall. Uh, well, obviously, there are sort of three main female characters you could talk about there. You've got Lady Runcy Campbell, who's the most prominent. She's very important in jurors' downfall because she enables juror. She allows him to talk dirty about Callum and Neil. She allows him, despite the fact that he's clearly mentally ill, she allows him to carry on walking around the estate with a gun and she's not very strong in terms of taking charge of him. You know, near the end when he starts blithering on about the doll she tells him to go home and he says, no, I'm going to my work and she just goes, right, well, whatever, fine. If she had sent him home and taken his gun away from him, he wouldn't have been able to kill Callum. So, her weakness as a supervisor kind of leads to Callum's death. Uh, but we've also got Peggy, Jura's wife. She's obese. She's quite sort of needy and pathetic. And um, living with her leaves Jura feeling very sad, frustrated and kind of sexually repressed. You've also got the mother-in-law, Mrs. Lockie, who's very naggy and unpleasant and she stays with them. So the women... These two women make his home life so dreadful and uncomfortable that the only retreat that he has is to go into the forest with the dogs. Unfortunately for Jura though, this forces him into having to be in contact with the brothers, which also makes him go mad. So he's kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. Uh, other thing that might come up, I've not actually seen a question on religion, but I think religion is something they might ask you about. Like, why is religion significant? Now, obviously... The main thing I would say is the fact that it is the cause of quite a big dilemma for Lady Runcie Campbell. We see throughout the book that she's kind of torn. You know, she's she's trying her best to be a good Christian. I mean, Mr. Tullock says that. He said she's a good woman, really, but she's got a code to live by. Uh, so she, she wants to be a good Christian, but at the same time, she wants to be... Well, she is a member of the ruling class, and she wants to behave accordingly. So it's a, it's a, it's a kind of cause for dilemma for her. Um, you could talk about the fact that Roderick embodies true Christianity, the fact that he's very caring, the fact that he, you know, he takes the cake to the brothers and the fact that he, he wants to try and he wants everyone to be nice to them and he wants people to see how good they are. Um, obviously, there's the religious imagery stuff, which I know a lot of you are not keen on when you talk about Callum being a bit like Jesus and Jura being like the devil. Um, another thing that people don't really think about is the fact that Jura, you know, Jura's trapped in this really rubbish lifestyle um, because of his strict Christian views. You know, he want, he hates Peggy, he hates her, but because he's a Christian, 
believes that he's not allowed to uh, divorce her because it's forbidden to Christians to be divorced. It goes against the, the church. So he's stuck in this awful lifestyle because of his religious beliefs. So that teaches that religion can have a really detrimental effect on people because it shapes their lifestyles. Lastly, this was your prelim question this year. Roderick, the character of Roderick. Um, you could talk about the fact that Roderick represents the forward-thinking branch of the upper class. You know, the idea of treating poor people nicely and treating people as equals. Um, I think I said in my initial notes that Roderick is a character who often transcends social class because he, he may belong to the upper class, but he doesn't act like he does. So he does, he transcends his social class. Um, Roderick is also physically weak. That's why he's not at school. So that might also be why he empathises empathizes with Callum because he sees kind of similarities with himself. Um you could talk about the fact that he takes after his grandfather uh, and you know he, he has inherited those egalitarian views about treating people nicely you could also mention the fact that he is kind of like he acts like a peacemaker throughout the book um, you know he brings a cake to the brothers because he wants to make up for the deer drive he always tries and makes other he tries to make other people see the best in them um, although you could argue that you know he does want make people to see, he wants people to see the best in Callum and Neil and that's why he goes up the tree because he wants to emulate them and also he knows that they're probably going to have to rescue him but indirectly him doing that means that he's responsible for Callum's death uh, him climbing up the tree getting stuck up the tree leads to Neil's refusal to help and it gives Jura the opportunity to kill Callum so you could say that Roderick is even though he was acting nicely he was indirectly responsible for Callum's death so that's basically it that's all the questions that i've got in my head right now um just remember when you're going to the exam make sure that you have a bit of a, a kind of good grasp of all the main parts of the book the good thing about the cone gallows is there's not an awful lot happens in it you know you've got the, the main events are basically the deer drive uh the beach hut and the end and there's little bits in between obviously little things that happen between the characters if you haven't already done so make sure you listen to my first cone gatherers podcast because i talk about the, i go through the whole book and give a summary of every single thing that happens and how that affects and impacts on the plot and i talk a wee bit about the theme there as well but just remember when you're doing your 10 marker commonality extract and elsewhere and you get two marks for commonality up to two marks for your extract and six marks for your elsewhere you should be looking to write at least five paragraphs for this i know some teachers have said to do 10 but you only get 45 minutes to do the whole cone gatherers exercise so i don't know how you would manage 10 paragraphs unless you just ignored your critical essay which i don't recommend that you do um but as i said have a look at my specimen answer online and it'll give you an idea of how to structure the commonality, the extract, and the elsewhere. And uh, hopefully you'll all be fine. And you'll all be absolute experts in the code gatherers, especially after listening to this. Okay, hopefully this has been helpful. And I'll see you all again soon. Bye. <laughs>